right. Open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, please. I really love Metro Praise not only because you guys are here and we have fun like yesterday singing uh, Christmas carols. Things like that make it so much fun. The relationships that we have are so great here. But one of the things that I like most about Metro Praise is that at Metro Praise, I can preach the word to you and you let me preach. Amen? I just like that. There's just something about that. I would rather, listen to me, I would rather have five people. And and this way we started with just a couple, okay? I would rather have five people that listen to the word, aren't afraid to hear, and just say amen, than to have a hundred, thousand, whatever, and I have to sit and tickle them, like how my my pastor was up. You all like him last week, dancing like that, you know, and doing a little dance. You know, I would rather just have a few people. Now, what I love about this is we have more than a few people, and this thing is growing, amen, and it's catching on, and more people are getting involved. And now what's going on in your homes and what's happening in Juan and Yvette's life and Kathy and Hector, and each one of you are being discipled, Dahlia and all the families here, and Cecilia, Annette, and Anaya. You see, this is catching on, amen. And, and what I want to let you know as a pastor is that when I come up here and I'm preaching messages, I'm literally trying my best as much as a man possibly can to hear what God is saying. That, that really is what's going on here. I've got to let you know that. So today's message is probably going to be one of those messages where it's like a line drawn in the sand. And, and you're going to have to make a choice. Do I stay where I am or do I cross over? And the thing about our church is we keep drawing those lines. Because, you see, we look at it like this. If a river moves forward, and that's fresh water, and it moves forward. It, it goes downstream. You see, a pond in a swamp stays stagnant. The river is always fresh, but the pond and the swamp can become infected and stagnant. And, you see, God just wants the river to keep moving. Look at your neighbor and say, let it flow. Come on, do like this. Do like this. Say, let it flow. Come on. Woo! See, we're going to have some fun this morning. But you see, we always got to draw those lines. And, and one of the lines that is drawn in this ministry is a line of discipleship. I have preached over the last two and a half years probably 10, 15 messages on the distinguishment of a true Christian being a disciple. We've talked about the usage of the word being over 200 and some times where disciple and Christian is only a couple times. We've talked about what it means to be discipled. We've showed you connect, mentor, and send all throughout the Bible. We've shown you in the Old Testament, Elisha connected to Elijah, was connected. He was mentored and then sent out to be a prophet. We showed you in the New Testament that Jesus gathered in his 12. They connected to him. He mentored him for three and a half years. And in Matthew 28, he sent him out. And you've learned in this church that we've got to value the Word. Now, you might be saying, Pastor, why are you prefacing all this? Because now in our study in the book of Matthew, we're getting to what's called the Beatitudes. Can everyone say the Beatitudes? Thank you. And in the Beatitudes, you see what is probably the most pivotal part of Jesus' teaching. You see, he first started off with repentance. Remember when we talked about repentance? And that's what it is to be saved. You cannot be saved unless you repent and be born again. That has to happen. But when you get to this part of Matthew, it's now going to be Matthew 5, 6, and 7, three chapters. He is going to teach us the characteristics of a true Christian. You see, in verse 1 it says, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. You see that right there? 
You see the distinguishment. See, the line's already drawn. He's not just talking to Bob, you know, Dick and Harry and Mike and Larry and all whatever. He's not just talking to random people on the street. This is what he's saying. I've preached repentance. I've picked out these gentlemen, these women, and now, because there was women there, by the way, and now these disciples come right to him, and he begins to teach them. And what we have to hear is what Jesus is saying. Now, one of the things that you learn when you study the Bible is there's things that are deep within the Bible that you've got to read to really get. And one of those things are, is what called, are, are what is known as bookends. You know when you have a bookshelf, you have an end right here, and you'll put up something to stop the books from falling over, and then you'll have another end. And you, know, you know I'm talking about? They're bookends. And then you put all the books in the middle, okay? Well, the first thing that he says is, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. That's the first thing that he says, okay? The last thing that he says are blessed are those at the end of chapter 7, those who hear these words of mine, because they are like a wise man who built their house upon a rock, and when the storms came, that house stood. Now, what am I trying to say by this? Everything between blessed are the poor in spirit and he who follows these words is blessed. Every teaching must be followed. Every teaching must be obeyed. And when we come to him, we come to him poor, empty, empty of everything. We don't have any good. And we need all these teachings to apply in our life. We don't come to Jesus saying, I know this, I know that. No, 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 no. We start off this relationship of learning with him. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Coming to God saying, Lord, I don't have it. I don't know it. I don't, I don't live right. I don't act right. I don't understand the things of God. I must be taught. Okay. Because today what I'm going to do is I'm going to expose the devil. Somebody say expose the devil. You see, today what I'm going to do is I'm going to expose the devil all in the church today. I'm going to talk about it in the members' lives. I'm going to talk about it. i got pastor videos I'm going to play for you today. I want to talk about it and cover every spectrum I can. Not that I am better than any pastor, not that I'm better than any person, but somebody has got to set this mess in order. This mess called the church is out of order. Our country is out of order because the church is out of order. You understand, you see, the breakdown came in the church, and then it came in the family, and now it's in the society, and now you got Pentecostal pimps and players and pushers calling themselves pastors but do nothing. And you have members who call themselves Christian by name only but don't live it. Now, I want you to understand, I'm not the only one, and we're not the only church. Uh, Evangelist Payton is here. Amen. Raise your hand, sister. Let's bless the Lord for evangelists here. She's a part of another church, but joins with us when she can and goes out evangelizing. We're not the only church that stands up for these things. But I want to tell you in these last days, as you're soon going to find out, that we may be the minority right now. We may be. We very may well be. I don't know statistically. Because, see, here's the thing. You can't count church attendance. You can't count uh, how many people come to a building and say, well, well they got 10,000, so there's 10,000 there. They may have 10,000 in a building. They may only be four living for the Lord. And I want to shock some of you today. They may have 10,000 in a building. None of them live for the Lord. 
We, I, I just don't know. So all I can say is this. We've got to set the thing in order. It starts with your pastor and knowing the word of God, then some members and elders getting around it, and some people. And we can say, as for our house, we shall serve the Lord. Amen? And then you go to your house and you, you say to your children, we will serve the Lord. And then you get your community. And, and, and maybe we can't stop what goes on at that church. And we can't explain why members act like that over there. We can't explain why that person does what they do on TV. But we can say, as for this church, we love God. As for my house, I love God. You understand what I'm saying there? All right, let's look up here. Every week I'm going to read through all of this section of the Sermon on the Mount, also known as the Beatitudes. So let's start there. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word blessed means happy. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You understand this right there? I could stop. See, this whole thing's a mess. When was the last time you saw people in churches mourning? When was the last time you saw people meek representing Christ? Teachable. You understand? That's what I'm talking about. See, I've got I to put it in order. Somebody say, set it in order, Pastor. You're, you're going to see that scripture in just a minute. But okay, let's keep going. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You see, we've got to get hungry for Jesus. We've got to get hungry for the Lord. You know, you might come to this church and you're hearing somebody praising God a little bit louder than you. Or you might see somebody getting on their knees and that might bother you. Like, like why are they doing it? It makes me feel uncomfortable. You know what's going on? They're hungry for the Lord and they may be more hungry than you. You see, it needs to get to a place where we're hungry for God. And we don't care what other people think. Come on. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Man, I could just talk about that. Just messes upon messes upon messes in the church, and nobody bringing peace to the situation. I'm going to tell you about some of them in a minute. But look, blessed are the persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're not talking about being persecuted because you're a gossip or a slander. We're not talking about being persecuted because you steal and are mean. Being persecuted because you're righteous. Bible says that's a good thing. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. Now I want you all to hear that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are are the merciful. This is one of those messages, because I'm about ready to get started here now. I want you, if you can this week, listen to it again. Send it to some of your Christian friends. You don't have to, you know, explain to them why you're sending it. Just say, hey, it blessed me. Listen to this message. And if it steps on their toes, let it step on their toes. Amen? But but we need to hear this, because I want to start off with today. We say, blessed are the poor in spirit. That was Jesus' first thing he taught his disciples, right? Now, I want you to look at what we're seeing from this man teaching other disciples. This is what he wants to teach you right now. Your best life now, seven steps to living at your full potential. Now, you might say, Joel Osteen, he's a pretty okay guy. He's the smiling pastor. But I want to tell you something today. I am not better than Joel Osteen, but I have a problem with this man's message. 
And I have a problem with Americans, and if you're here, it's okay, we love you, who like his message because his message is not teaching you to be poor in spirit. This is what his message, this is what his book teaches us. And I'm going to have you listen to him a little bit. Enlarge your vision. Develop a healthy self-image. To hell with that. I said to hell with that. We're not here to have a healthy self-image. We're here to deny ourselves, crucify our flesh, and have a God consciousness. You'll love yourself if you see God in yourself. I'm going to talk about it. I said I'm going to talk about it. You're going to have to listen to this two or three times just to get it all. Because I got so much stuff in my mind and my heart, I could preach it for three hours and still not get out a quarter of it. And so I'm going to be dumping it on you so quick. You've got to make sure you get home and listen to it because you're going to go back and listen to it. Oh, man, I didn't even know he said that. I didn't even know he put it like that. You're going to have to listen to it. Discover the power of your thoughts. Let go of the past. Find strength through adversity. Live to give. Choose to be happy. Now I want to tell you something. If this man was coming to your company picnic and he was going to be the motivational speaker, I would not have a problem with that message. Hey, that's fine. Hey, we all need to be happy. You know, look at yourself and try to do something good in your workplace. I do, however, have a problem when he stands up in front of 20,000 people in a million on TV and he says, this is God's plan for your life. This is not God's plan for our lives. He did not teach us to have some self-centered vision of ourselves. We are to be poor in spirit. We are to come to God saying, I am nothing but you are everything. You see, that's what Jesus is talking about. Then he came out with a new book. If he didn't teach enough of the heresy already, he had to tell us, become a better you. And and you know what's amazing about this? Is Muslims pick up this book. And he's proud of that. That he can inspire a Muslim to be a better Muslim, a better you. Homosexuals, and I've met many who read these books, can pick this up and become a better you, a better homosexual. God does not want you to become a better you. He wants you to die and be resurrected in Christ and become a better disciple of Christ. Oh, come on, I'm already preaching myself silly up here. And the problem is people don't even want to hear this. Now, before I start setting stuff in order, i got to just tell you how, how this just goes everywhere. This just goes every which direction. Let me just start with member direction. Let me just start off with how members get so thrown off, how people in the body of Christ get so thrown off. We'll have this up because I want you all to see this. How they get so thrown off on what this thing's really about. Just tell you in the life of a pastor. So my job is to make sure that members live for God. So I am in people's lives. Let me just tell you a typical week in a good pastor's life. Am I a good pastor? Can you say amen? Amen. I'm not a good pastor in myself, but in Christ, I know I'm doing this thing. Amen. Let me just give you a typical week. We had to dismiss a family from fellowship, an entire family from our church, because the daughter backbit and slandered us with another person and would not disfellowship, no repent, and get her heart right. And then we had to go through three weeks of meetings, and my elders can say amen. Amen. And we had to go through the meetings all the way up to the last meeting, kept lying and, and, and deceiving and pushing it further and further until we had to do what 1 Corinthians 5 says, Matthew 18. We had to say, with that mess, you got to go. We ain't going to have that mess here, you backbiting and slandering. That's one. 
Another situation, a visitor came last week, and don't try to figure out, well, who's not here this week, but a visitor came last week, and, and my wife and I, because we're pastors who care, call up visitors, talk to people, hey, hey, sister, how you doing? My wife's calling up the woman, hey, sister, glad you came to Metro Praise, just a, just a welcome call, just a hey, howdy doody, we love you call. The sister says back, hey, I was just kind of curious. No, 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 no small talk, no chit-chat. Gets right to this. Hey, do you consider yourself a pastor? Nancy said, yeah, I do. She said, yeah, I thought you did because I saw on your sign it said pastors, Joe and Nancy. Well, I don't believe in woman pastors. Nancy's like, well, I don't care what you believe in. This is what I am and this is what I do. The woman wanted to start arguing with Nancy about whether or not she's a pastor as she's calling her from her own church. It don't even make sense to me how retarded people can be, how they can be so far from being blessed and poor in the spirit. So anyways, Nancy says, gets out the conversation with respect and dignity. Don't have to defend herself. Everybody say amen. And then the woman wants to be cute and calls her back and says, leaves a message and says, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we just get our Bibles together and I'll try to teach you what it says. I said, to hell with that. Get me on the phone. So I called him back on the phone, and I got the woman's answer machine, and I said this. I said, A, you're out of order checking anybody in my church. I'm her husband. You just messed up there. And number two, I'm her pastor. And I said, number two, three, if you want to have this discussion about women not being in the ministry, I'm going to hold you to the word where it says women ought to be silent. I said, so bring your husband, sit in the meeting, be silent, and I'll take the word and teach you something. I said, you want to get all out of order, bring this whole thing out of whack. I said, I'm just going to hold you to what you believe. She then called me back. I'm talking to her. She hung up the phone on me. It's the second situation. This is, that, this is just an average week in the life of a pastor. I'm going to get to, to, to members in a minute, but this is how i got to deal with them. This is what's going on. This is what people don't see. You see, you come to the restaurant on Sunday. We serve up your favorite meal, but you don't know what's going on back here in the kitchen. i got to let you all know what's going on. We're going to get to Joel scene in a minute. So, hey amen. We, we're going to get down with it today. He ain't going nowhere. All right? So, so then watch. So then third... I have an old friend from out of town, uh, you know, just loves the Lord. She's a young lady. She's involved in the church, used to be in my ministry. And, and, and she writes me this letter, and, and uh, you know, how are you doing? And at the end, she says, well, have you found a covering yet, somebody that can watch over your ministry in the city? And, and I said to myself, if there's anybody that talks about authority and, and, and is proud of having these men as my elders and pastors, it's myself. Everybody here knows that. I always talk about it. But I've never seen people more check me on who's my authority. You know why they do that? Because they see this young guy preaching, and they see somebody stepping on their toes, and the first thing they want to do is go over my head and say, well, who's your boss? You know what I wrote back to her? I said, I got this thing under control, but who's your boss? And why don't you ask your backslidden denomination who's their boss, because they better check their heart and get right with God. Who's checking them on feeding the poor, clothing the homeless, preaching the gospel, visiting people in the sick in the hospital, doing Bible study? Who's watching your denomination? Because we got this thing. That's just an average week. You don't want me to tell you about last week getting calls from Satan. Oh, yeah, we get prank calls. Yeah, we get all that guys calling themselves Satan. I'm Satan. We just say, tell it, look, if you, look, I know you're not the real one, but look, tell them to come to my house, 4120 West Addison, and I'll be waiting for them to put a whooping on them, all right? 
So I told him, I said, send all your spirits you can conjure up right here to my house, and I'll let them know who's boss, and they'll come back and tell you. Poor in spirit. You see, the first thing Jesus was wanting to teach us is there's got to be humility. Somewhere we've got to humble ourselves and get taught. Now, I thank the Lord that I went to Bible college in a relationship with pastors that I still have to this day that were able to teach me. That I was able to come to God, pour in my spirit as a sinner, and say, Lord, change me. But church, it don't stop just at one time. You know, even for the elders here, it just doesn't stop because now you're an elder. We always got to come to the Lord saying, God, I need you. And all of this stuff that people are fighting and fussing over has nothing to do with anything. If we would just get poor in our spirit and just humble ourselves, we would have the kingdom of heaven. Look, if you disagree with a woman being a pastor, do it the thing in order, set up a time, do it respectfully. You didn't have to, that woman didn't have to do it that way. That was all pride. That was all ego. That was puffed up in their spirit. She was going to tell us something. Oh, and then this other family, been a part of our church for years. Oh, I'm, you're, you're my pastor. You're, you're my pastor sending us cards. But the moment we say, as your pastor, this is wrong. Oh, you're not my pastor anymore. Well, why were you here for two years? And every one of us ought to check our hearts. Now, I'm not giving permission for anyone to abuse, to, to lie, to, if I hurt you, okay, that's, that's a permission for you not to come here anymore. You know, if you get physically hurt and things like that happen. But let me just tell you something. In the ministry, people get disciplined. People get corrected. And sometimes we don't always act right. And there has to be some type of order. I thank God for parents that put order in the house. I thank God for police officers that are doing their best to put order into the society. And we need churches to put order back in the church. I mean, you all hearing this today? And, and, and let me just give you just, just an example. So I sit down with Pastor Roy last week. And, uh, you know, I'm hardly ever a storyteller, but today with just this simple message, all the scriptures are coming at the end. I just want to set this up in so many ways that when you start hearing all these scriptures, it covers the basis. So I was sitting down with Pastor Roy, and, and, and I was sharing him about the situation with the family that was just going amok and awry and everything. And, and he said, brother, you think that's something. And, and it's just something out hanging out with pastors, like especially that are older. It's like, you know, here I got my one little slash, one little bite mark from a sheep, you know. And then like the older pastors, they pull up their back and they're like, look at this. I've been whipped and beaten and kicked. This brother told me he took a church. He was my wife and I. They said we were just your age. It was a new church, about 50 people. We came. There was so much fun. He said it started to grow to 100, 150, 200. And he said then we got this building, and, and, a, and, and it had so much space in there. It had a school. And there was this local Christian school that wanted to come use it. And he said, sure, you can come use it. You know, we could use it to pay off our mortgage, and it's a Christian school. Send our kids there. He said within three weeks, the principal got caught molesting children. And then everybody then left his church. And he's sitting here as the pastor watching people leave his church for something that had nothing to do with him. And he said it was the most heartbreaking thing he went through because the church was on the news and it had nothing to do with him. You see, it can hurt just serving God. And when people get their mind on the wrong thing, they can just quit and give up. 
Another story I just heard, talking to my other pastor in New Orleans, just sharing him the story. He said, well, you think that's something? He said, there's a brother of ours right now that's in Dallas, grew the church, everything's going good. Half of the elders said, look, we don't like speaking in tongues. We don't like everything we're doing. You're doing, we're taking half the church to start another church. And now the guy's left with half the members but the same mortgage of a building. This is what's going on, friends. We're not following the word. We're not coming in order. We're not listening. Pastors aren't listening to each other, and the members aren't listening to their pastors. Members aren't listening to each other as they're discipling. And Jesus is trying to have us get some of the most basic principles of the kingdom that can resolve all this mess. First one is be blessed or be poor in your spirit, for you'll receive the kingdom of heaven. What does the word bless mean? It means to be happy in God. Everybody say happy in God. Put a smile on your face. It's a smiling message. Say happy in God. That's what it means. Poor in spirit to recognize one needs for God. In the kingdom of heaven, the earthly and heavenly reign of Jesus Christ, both now and forevermore. Bible says that what the Lord's prayer, we should say thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. So guess what? We can be in the kingdom of God right now. We will see it one day in its fullness in heaven. But right now we can begin to see it. And you know what the kingdom of God is? It's love, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. And, and we don't always have to see fighting. We don't always have to see bitterness. We don't always have to see families get dismissed from a church. God help us. We don't always have to see our children running the streets. We can actually start to see some joy. We can actually start to see some peace. But we got to get in the kingdom. You see what I'm saying? You can't go to the mall and expect to find something that's in Disney World. You've got to get in Disney World to get what's in Disney World. And you've got to get in the kingdom of God to get what God has. Amen. Well, now let's talk about these pastors. Instead of teaching the church, instead of teaching us how to get all this in order, what we're seeing more and more, not everybody, but we're seeing more and more, and it's popularized, is the things we were just talking about with Joe Osteen. And now what's the, the focus, it's not what God has to give us so that our life can be useful to others. It's what God can give us for our own selfish needs and desires. And the God, and, and the God that they're serving is not a God that asks them to repent, because he won't even mention the word repentance or sin. It's, it's not a God that sends anybody to hell. It's not a God that ever corrects or disciplines. It's just a God that is always like the grandparent type God. You know the grandparents, they don't really have to discipline all the time. They just get the children on the weekends and just spoil them silly. It's like granddaddy Jesus. He never wants to discipline us. He never wants to challenge us. All he wants to do is just bless our little socks off. And I want you to see what it sounds like out of his own mouth. So, brother, do me a favor. Put up the Larry King Live Oh, no, let's start with this. Let's start with Oprah. I love what Oprah could do for the kingdom, but many of y'all don't know this is what she's doing right now for the kingdom of darkness. Go ahead and play Oprah right here. Y'all are going to be able to hear this. The panel has been discussing the spirituality and the forces of God, but I also believe that there are two forces that are here with us, that we do have our, our, our God that we can depend on, but there's also a power of darkness that we do need to be aware of. 
and, and that's you, where the choice is. Do you begins. believe that, and that you can choose between one or the other? Most, most absolute definitely. Yeah. Now, now Marianne uh, Williamson says in her book, Return to Love, that we're always walking in the direction of one or the other, that all of your actions in life, either you're moving toward the darkness or you're moving toward the light. Right. She calls it fear and love. There's this wonderful book called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, which talks, it, which, which is, anyway, it's a gorilla talking, but anyway, uh, it talks about one of the points it brings out is one of the mistakes that human beings make is believing that there is only one way to live That's and right. that we don't accept that there are diverse ways of being in the world that there are millions of ways to be a human being and, and many ways no, but many paths many to what you call god that and is her path crazy. might be something else and when she gets there she might call it the light but her loving and her kindness and her generosity brings her, if it brings her to the same point that it brings you, it doesn't matter whether she called it God along the way or not. And I guess the danger that could be on that, I mean, it, it sounds great on the onset, but if you really look at both sides, I there could possibly be just one way. What, what about Jesus? What about Jesus? There is one way and only one way, and there that is through Jesus. Jesus. There couldn't possibly be with because a million you of people say in the world. Isn't. There couldn't possibly be. Because you say, you intellectualize it and say there isn't. If no. you don't believe that, you're all buying into the lie. But that makes you right. Do you think, do you think that if you, if you are somewhere on the planet... If you're somewhere on the planet and you never hear the name of Jesus, you never hear the name of Jesus, but yet you live with a loving heart, you lived as Jesus would have had you to live, you lived for the same purpose that Jesus came to the planet to teach us all, but you are in some remote part of the earth and you never heard the name of Jesus, you cannot get to heaven, you think? And that is covered in the scriptures, too. People are talked about that. God knows the heart. Does God care about your heart or does God care about if you call his son Jesus? Well, you know... Oprah, God, Jesus cannot come back until that gospel is preached in the four corners of this earth. So, you know, figure it out. Okay. Okay, I can't get into a religious argument with you. It's not religion, Oprah. I can't get into a religious argument with you, John. You see that right there? You see, that's what our country is dealing with right now. This idea that you can be whatever religion you want, and yet you can still go to heaven. And then it filters all the way down to you can read your Bible as you want, tell your pastor how it ought to be and do what you want, and then you still get to heaven. You see how uh, she said there's millions of ways. That's why the thing's out of order. Someone comes to our church. Well, I think my, your wife can't be a pastor. Okay, that's your way. You can be right. Now we're supposed to let them come here and do their thing. Another person wants to backbite us and slander. Oh, pastor, you're just a man like me. You're not perfect. How can you tell me what to do? I got my way. Somebody wants to come in here, Bob and Larry hooking up, homosexual love affair. Well, you know, we can do this. That's my way. And this is the lie, not only that Oprah Winfrey is selling America, but this is the lie that Joe Osteen and people like him are selling us. Now, I'm about ready to expose it in Scripture. I'm going to bring the Word. Somebody say, drop it like it's hot. It's going to be dropped like it's hot in just a minute. But i got to build this one up. Brother, now put up Joe Osteen and see if you see any difference between him and Oprah Winfrey. Go ahead, brother. <laughs> Phoenix, Arizona, hello. Hello, Larry. You're the best. And thank you, Joe, Joel, for your positive messages and your book. I'm wondering, though, um, why you sidestepped Larry's earlier question about how we get to heaven. Um, the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light, and the only way to the Father is through him. That's not really a message of condemnation, but of truth. 
Yeah, I would agree with her. I believe that. So then That's a what Jew is not going to hell. No, I, I, I mean, you can't. Well, here's my thing, Larry, is I can't judge somebody's heart, you know. I don't know. Only God can look at somebody's heart. And so, I don't know. I just, to me, it's not my business to say, you know, this one is or this one isn't. I'm just saying, here's what the Bible teaches, and I want to put my faith in, uh, you know, in Christ. And I, I just, I think it's wrong when we go around saying, you know, you're not going, you're not going, you're not going, because it's not exactly my way. I'm just, I'm but not going to be believe God. your way. I believe my way. I believe my way with all my heart. But for uh, someone who doesn't share it, well, it is wrong, isn't yeah. it? Well, I don't know if I look at it like that. I would, I would present my way, but I'm just going to let God be the judge of that. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. So you make no judgment on anyone. No, but I about atheists. No, I just, you know what. I let I let someone let, I'm gonna let God be the judge of who goes to heaven and hell and I just again I present the truth and I say it every week you know I believe it's a relationship with Jesus but you know what I'm not gonna go around telling everybody else if if they don't want to believe that that's gonna be their choice God's got to look at your own heart God's got to look at your heart and only God knows that you believe there's a place called heaven I believe that Amen now he was asked what about the atheist and he said I don't know where the atheist goes. Now, how in the world, he says, it's not my business to know. Now, how can a pastor tell you, this man is supposed to be preaching to you the word of God, the things of Jesus Christ, telling you he's going to improve your life, and he don't know where an atheist go? He doesn't know where a Jew goes? The Bible says where a Jew goes. The Bible says those things. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to preach today, whether it's to 100 or 100 million, the truth about the gospel. You see, you're going to hear it today. This man didn't sound any different. He did not sound any different than Oprah Winfrey. And he says, it's not my business. I don't know. And you could just see that Larry King caught him in so many contradictions. And right before that woman was on the phone, Larry King had said, well, do you believe in hell? And his whole thing was, if you tell somebody they're going to hell, you're condemning him, condemning them. And he says, well, I don't condemn nobody. And then that woman calls up and says, why are you sidestepping the question? You're not condemning them. You're just telling them the judgment of Jesus Christ. As you're turned right there, see if you can do two at one time. Turn with me just to John 3. Just turn to John. Well, no, I've got so many in my heart. Matthew 6, uh, Mark 16. You know I'm going crazy right now trying to keep this together. I'm trying to keep it together. Lord, help me right now. We might have to bring lunch here. Amen. We might just have to bring it here. It's turn to Mark 16. I can't show them all to you. If you need more, I'll give them, give them to you as many as you want. Just look at Jesus. I, I don't, man, I, I wish this brother would get right. If there's anybody, so you're holding your place in 2 Timothy 3 and Mark 16. If, if you can look up then, please. If, if there was anybody I wish could get it right, I would love for him to get it right. I would be so proud to say to other Christians, our pastor over here, this man of God, has an awesome church. He's changing his city. He's got the world's attention. We would be proud as Christians, would we not? I mean, we look for heroes in Christianity. I mean, really, we do. I look for heroes. I look for people to acknowledge, especially ones who've been before me. And so many of them are doing an awesome job. And they're on our website, David Wilkerson, Greg Laurie, you know, John MacArthur. So many of them are out there, and they're doing wonderful. But when we see this mess, we've got to deal with it. Somebody say, set it in order. Look at Mark 16. Look what Jesus said. Verse 15. He said to them, 
go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. So this is our job right here, to preach the good news. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be what? Now, why can't that brother say that? And why is there 20, 30,000 people there this morning hearing him preach that message? And they think that he's preaching what Jesus said. He's not preaching what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you don't believe, you're condemned. Are you a Jew? Okay, do you believe in Christ? No, you're condemned. Are you an atheist? Obviously, you don't believe in Christ. You're condemned. I'm not judging. The judge has already told us the verdict. He already told us. the. Come on, go now to John 3. I've got to take you there now i got to take it. The judge already told us the verdict. I'm not damning anybody to hell. I don't have the right to, nor do you. But the judge already told us the verdict. And then you're going to see it right here. Turn to John 3.16, our famous scripture. Love it so much. Nothing wrong with talking about how much God loves us. Nothing wrong with that. But let's just put it in order. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Sounds like kind of what we just heard before. The one who believes is saved. The one who doesn't is condemned. But keep reading verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's right. He sent his son into the world to save the world. But watch this. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because he has not believed the name of God's one and only son. Man, you got to tell the person, no, we're not coming to condemn you. We're coming to tell you, you are already condemned. You already got the judgment against you. You've already told a lie. You've already made lust in your heart and done these things. You got to get right with God. And then look at Jesus. I love Jesus. Somebody say, preach it, Jesus. I love what Jesus said, verse 19. This is the verdict. Man, that's the judge, jury, and the executioner. This is the verdict. Light is coming to the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Brother, put the word of God in your mouth and preach it. Now you might say, Pastor, are you out of order to talk about him? No, because men of God have been warning him. John Piper, John MacArthur, James White, so many men of God have sent him letters. David Wilkerson are warning these pastors. Men with 20, 30 years of experience are reaching out to these men, and they're trying to straighten them out, but they are purposely not listening. That's why I've got to come here today, remind us of what Jesus taught in light of what's going on. We've got to see the truth for what it is. He said, this is the verdict. This is the judgment. God came down not to condemn us, but to save us. But if you don't believe, you're condemned already. And the verdict is people still love their darkness. People love their wickedness. And they're not believing. And they're heading on to hell. And we've got to pray for them. And we've got to preach to them. And we've got to feed them if they're hungry. And bring them in if they're homeless. And we've got to love them. But we've got to tell them the truth. Oh, praise God. I look at it like three doctors. Doctor, feel good. You come in if you have cancer. Doctor, feel good. All he wants you to do is feel good. So he don't want to tell you you got cancer. But you're like, you're like, doctor, I got this pain in my chest. And he can see the tumor as clear as day. But he's like, no, it'll pass. It'll pass. You're all right. So what happens is after seeing doctor feel good, what? you kind of feel good. Emotionally, you feel good. But you know you're still sick. And after a while, it actually gets worse. And when you really start to get sick, you actually begin to hate doctor feel good. 
because he lied to you. And those are like preachers who tell people everything's all right. Everything's all right. And they're going to face judgment when those people are going to face judgment one day. And they're going to see the result of that sin and not being told the right path. And they're going to hate what they were told. The other one is the other extreme is Dr. Angry. He's just angry all the time. Oh, you got cancer. I'm sick and tired of cancer patients. Get out of here with your cancer. And those are like pastors and leaders who see Christians and say, Oh, you've got sin. You're a sinner on your way to hell. God hates you. God doesn't love you. Get out of here and go to hell. See, that's Dr. Angry. But you know what Dr. Truth does? Dr. Truth tells you the truth about your disease. He don't have to laugh about it. He don't have to joke about it. He don't have to be mean about it. You have cancer. This is the truth. It's in your lungs. It is, it is, it is debilitating your body. You need to repent or, or get, rather get on medication. And then he begins to give you the truth about a cure. You see the difference? Dr. Feelgood only wants you to feel good, and you go away with the cancer. Dr. Angry just gets angry at you and doesn't help you. But Dr. Truth gets you on the right path. Bible says in John chapter 1 that Jesus came full of grace and truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's who Jesus is. He'll tell you just as it is. Or like they say in the South, just as it T-I-S, as it is. They'll tell you as it is. The Bible tells you as it is. And we need to listen. Are you with me in 2 Timothy? If you're there, can you say I'm there? Now let's just look at what's going on. Being poor in spirit. And we're going to wrap it up in just a few moments. So hang on here. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. See, we're living in the last days. We are living not only in the last days. See, that started 2,000 years ago with Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. We are in the last moments of the last hour of the last day. Some may say the last days. There will be terrible times. We're seeing it. Said so people will be lovers of themselves. Don't you see that? We are right now more greedy than we've ever been. And right now this nip-tuck thing, 16-year-old kids getting their nose done. I saw these beautiful young ladies on a talk show saying how ugly they were because they love themselves so much. They want to be more and more and more like something that don't even exist, something they see in Hollywood. You see, in this society, we are lovers of ourselves. Seven steps to a better you. See, we love that because it's about ourselves. Lovers of money. The world has more wealth than it's ever had. You, you know, we think because we don't see kings and queens walking around with scepters and all of these things. Listen to me. Somebody said a long time ago, the king and queen of America is sports and entertainment. And we bow down to them and pay them homage every day. Hello? It's sports and entertainment. You see these entertainers living the life of luxury. And then the, the average working man is jealous of what they have, of all that their money can buy. Reality TV shows bidding for their place of that taste of the good life. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Talk about what's going on in our schools. There it is. Ungrateful. I've never seen a society more ungrateful. We have air conditioning, heating, most of us. We have bedrooms and, and, and running water, three square meals a day, and that's just the projects in a jail. Hello. And yet in America, we're ungrateful. Your children may be ungrateful if you don't teach them right. On Christmas, if they don't get a PlayStation 3, you need to teach them that being ungrateful is a sin. 
It is a sin to be greedy for more. God said to find content in what you have. Contentment. Ungrateful. Unholy. We live in a society where a man will be married to his wife, secretly have an affair with another man, buy himself homosexual prostitutes, and do drugs at the same time. And that's just a pastor. Are you listening to me today? We live in unholy and wicked times. It says that they, they are ungrateful and boastful. We have gay pride parades, and I've been down to 10 Mardi Gras. My friends, you have not seen the result of a gay lifestyle until you've seen the other debauchery of a gay parade. And what the disgusting things they do and they're proud of what they do that's our society our rappers and our musicians are proud of their wickedness and their murder unforgiving live in a society that doesn't forgive anybody slanderous happens all up in the church without self-control we have more gluttony in america more cigarette addiction more sleeping pill addiction more every addiction than you've ever heard of in your entire life because we have lacked every bit of self-control brutal and it says not lovers of good you know we're in the time right now where most places when I preach this, now I'm the hate monger. You see, they came out the closet, and they want to push me in the closet, but I ain't ready to go in the closet. Amen? You see, they came out and want to push us in, but I ain't going in. You see, now they're haters of good. They hate when we preach holiness. They hate when we preach against the things of this society because they're not lovers of good. They're treacherous, rash, conceited. Look at this. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This church ought to be filled every day, filled to the brims. There's no reason why this place can't be filled. But people are lovers of pleasure, want to sleep in on Sunday, want to spend all Saturday night doing what they want, want to keep money for themselves, want to cheat on their husbands and wives and have all of this for pleasure. Now let me just tell you something right here. This is what we see, amen? And this is a wicked generation, right? But let me put the icing on top so that's going to blow you away. Because you're thinking right now, this is just a crack dealer sitting on the corner just hating everybody. Or some guy in some dark, you know, uh, trench coat, you know, like some peeping Tom. Look what it says next. These people have a form of godliness, but they deny this power. That means they are the ones walking around with crosses on their neck, showing up to church on Sunday, believing in God on Easter and Christmas. These people have a form of godliness these ain't your satanic worshipers these ain't your maryland mansion these are people claiming that they got a form of godliness well that will blow your mind right there 80 percent of america believes in god 80 percent of america says they believe in the god of the bible that god talks about judgment that god talks about this you just heard a pastor he says he believes in god he has a form of godliness but he is feeding into this and so is this congregation. Are y'all waking up today? You see why you got to listen to us a couple times? You have to go through this and say, oh, my goodness. Look what has happened to us. Turn with me now to Titus. So I told you I was going to put some word on it. Titus chapter 1. There's a good part towards the end. Hang on towards the end. Look at your neighbor and say, hold on. The good part is coming. Now, we know this is good, but I should say good for us to apply. Because I'm going to do more than just stand up on a soapbox and tell you, What's wrong with society? That's only half of the issue. The second part is we've got to be right. We've got to be what's right in society. We, Brother Ish, have got to be what's right. That's why I started off at the very beginning. If it's just you and I at first, 
And then Ricky gets in it. And then Josh gets in it. And then Griselda gets in it. At least we can say this. We serve the Lord. We do it right. Oh, okay, yeah, that, that person over there ain't doing it right. If someone comes to us, oh, this person ain't doing it right. That's okay. But we doing it right. Hello? And that's what I've kind of found out. Like, you know what? It's almost like God just brought me here for that, like setting stuff in order. Because I know being a pastor, I've talked to a lot of pastors, they're not dealing with the people like I deal with them. You know why? Because here's like this little secret agreement. It's like a secret pact they got going on right now. Let me tell you how it is. Pastors are not going to mess with the people because the people are giving them the money. You listening? So the, so the people paying the pastor's salary, paying him to, you know, to work, and so you see, the pastor don't want to lose those families over slander and all that. So he's not going to make a fuss about it. He's not going to make issues over it. He doesn't want to lose that gay couple that live uptown, you know, have those beautiful condominiums. You know, he's not going to do that. So there's like an agreement. It's like, it's like I'm not going to mess with you. Now, don't mess with me. And so, therefore, the members, they don't get on the pastor about what he's preaching. They never really ask the pastor, hey, man, you know, you just preached that one message, you know, during the week. What are you doing the rest of the week? Just kind of curious. You know, I was just wondering, you know, I read this the other day, Matthew 25, talked about feeding the poor. You ever do that? You know, I was reading Jesus the other day, and Jesus was actually out by a place where, where there was a lot of sick people, and he was praying for them. You ever do that? See, the, the members aren't going to provoke the pastor. Because they, they don't want the pastor to provoke them. So all of a sudden you get this real good comfort zone. The pastor going to have a form of godliness. And it can look good. And it can sound good. All that's going on. But it ain't godliness. And then the people come in wearing the hats and the outfits. And they look good. And everything can look good. But it ain't good. And we got to set it in order. Somebody say, help us, Lord. Look at Titus chapter 1, verse 5. He said, I wasn't called to do that. Now, go ahead as we about ready to look at this. Let me put Billy Graham up here. And before we put Billy Graham, let me say this on behalf of him. First of all, I love Billy Graham as a person. He has preached to more people than anybody else. In another interview, he said that he changed his opinion later on in life. His son does not believe this. And he did not build his ministry on this. And I want to tell you, John MacArthur... One of the well-known preachers, one of, some of you guys who are up in preachers, you know about him. He's saying the same thing I'm saying and, and said he is so brokenhearted that this is the way the man of God is leaving his legacy. I want you all to see this interview with him where he thinks Christianity is going. I just had to preface that because not all things that he did were out of order. It's just at the end of his life. Tell me, what do you think is the future of Christianity? I think everybody that, that loves Christ or knows Christ, whether they're conscious of it or not, they're members of the body of Christ. And that's what God is doing today. He's calling people for, out of the, the world for his name, whether they come from the Muslim world or the Buddhist world or the Christian world or the non-believing world. Uh, they are members of the body of Christ because they've been called by God. They may not even know the name of Jesus, but uh, they know in their heart that they need something that they don't have, and they turn to the only light that they have, and I think that they are saved, and that they're going to be with us in heaven. This is fantastic. And I'm so thrilled to hear you say that. There is a wideness in God's mercy. Now, Billy Graham just said that you can be a Buddhist 
not know the name of Jesus, but still be a Christian. Look at my brother, part two up here. Let's give it up for my brother up here. Amen. Billy Graham didn't start his, his ministry that way. He's ending his ministry. They asked him, where do you think Christianity is growing? And he said the same exact lie that the Antichrist said in Revelations, that we're all God, that there's many ways to God. And Robert Schuller says, I'm so glad that you believe in the wideness of God. Jesus said, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. And he said in Isaiah, on that road, it is called the road of holiness, the highway of holiness. No unclean thing shall come upon it. And then in the book of Acts, they said, by no other name can a man be saved except through the name of Jesus Christ. All who call upon his name will be saved. So yes, Buddhists can be saved. Muslims can be saved. But they must call upon the name of Jesus, repent, and become poor in their spirit. I don't know how it got messed up. I don't know how it got to the place it is today, my friends. I've told you many times, I apologize that you came on the scene. You stepped into this church this morning, and this thing is a mess. But Christ said it would be a mess, and we got to deal with it now. I wish I could talk to Billy Graham and say, Billy Graham, why have you let us down? Why have you changed your message? Joe Osteen changed his father's message. Why have you changed the message? And I don't even have time. And see, see, if I went too far today, I would just go to exploitation. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to walk a line of respect. But you know if I would put up here these swindlers selling their holy water, their magical rags, we would just see the mockery of Christianity today. But I showed you trying to pick people in society that we do respect, like in Oprah Winfrey, which she has accomplished great goals, being the, the most wealthiest African-American woman in all of America and one of the most wealthiest people in all of America. But yet that's her view on Christianity. And yet in her, in her show she goes to the Baptist church. And who's confronting her? You see, that's my question. Who's talking to Oprah Winfrey? Because I see Rick Warren there, T.D. Jakes. But who's telling her there, there, there's only one way? And then we see Joe Osteen. And it's like these evangelists have all their buddies too. They preach at each other's churches. They all hook each other up. So nobody confronts each other. And we're in just such a state of disarray. And it's all pointing towards the last days in this form of godliness that is really what we should be denying. That this, this very thing, I'm going to finish that scripture, just look up here, the very thing that we should be denying. It says, these are the kind who, war, who worm their way into homes and gain control over a weak-willed woman. You see, these people are not just content being who they are. They have this form of godliness, and they want to change other people to their thinking. And the ones that they prey upon are women who are weak-willed, and they're weighed down with sins. And see, the audience of Christian television, I, I know this myself, majority is women. This is exactly what's happening. My, almost nine out of ten of my calls from the TV show are from women. And it just says that, that, that these women are at home and they're watching Oprah, they're watching Joe Osteen, and it, they get weighed, they're weighed down with their sin. They know that things in life are not right. And instead of coming poor in their spirit to Jesus and repenting and being exposed of all those things and just saying, God, I, I'm wicked, but I know you can forgive me, they turn to this. 
And it gives them that temporary feeling of peace. It gives them that temporary feeling of a self-image. But it's so destructive. And it says right here that they're always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. You see all these churches, they're always learning, but they're not going out and feeding the poor more. They're not sending out more missionaries. They're not sending out more homeless shelters. What homeless shelter has that large church done? How many, how many blocks has, has uh, Joe Osteen's church adopted? And we with only 100 people adopted a block. Are you getting my point, my friend? There are churches in this city with thousands of members that don't even support one missionary. What's happened to us? You see, we want another way. But there is only one way. And I'm not here to tell you that now following Jesus is like, oh, no, I'm a Christian. No, following Jesus is the most joyous thing we can do in life. It's the most self-satisfying thing. It will fill every desire of your heart. David said, I pant after God as a deer pants for living water. Only God's water fills your soul. Amen. Now let's look at this scripture right here, Titus. Joel Osteen said that he wasn't called to preach and to tell the truth. He said that he wasn't going to get into that. Billy Graham said that the future of Christianity was just accepting everybody's religion. Well, why even be missionaries then? Why even go to, Buddha, uh, to, to China and these different nations? Why even preach to them now? Hey, they're going to heaven. They're already chosen. So now instead of going to the foreign mission field saying you need to repent and accept Christ, what we need to do is embrace them and say you're our brother. You've been dancing around the fire, seeing visions. We embrace you. You're called of Christ. You just don't know it yet. That's Billy Graham. Let's look at what Paul said to this man, Titus. He said, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint, every, appoint elders in every city. You see in the King James, it says that you might set in order. Amen. You got the King James, sister? Evangelist, read that verse 5 nice and loud for us, please. Amen. Set things that are in, uh, set in order, things that are wanting, things that are unfinished. Somebody say, straighten it out. Somebody say, set it in order. You see, Paul said Titus to Crete, and he says, you have got to straighten this place out. You see, because in every church, if it's not put in order, in every church, it can get out of order. And even in the time of Paul, it was getting out of order. Only just a few years it was getting out of order. And he said, man, I left you there. Set it in order and get some elders. See, you guys, this ain't a game we're playing here. We're not playing one passion game up in a cafe. We are setting in order the things of God. And it starts with some leaders. And it starts with elders and prophets and evangelists. People say, I'm going to do this thing in every town, in every home. Let's do it. Come on, it says, as I directed you. And it now tells you what an elder must be. Like I said, I wouldn't have a problem with your Osteen. If he just came to a business function as a self-help motivator. But this is the type of person he's claiming to be. When you're calling somebody a pastor, an elder, holding this microphone, they are now overseeing a church. They're there to set it in order. Said it must be blameless. Husband of but one wife. A man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. See, those are the things that got to be in our families. You see, right here, with that family, because you might be, man, I don't want to be kicked out. Listen to me. That was the only time I've ever had to do that in Metro Praise. 
because the family was so out of order, no one wanted to listen. And you know the reason why it was so out of order? The husband was out of order. And you see, when the husband's out to order, the wife's out to order, the kids out to order, and they don't want to listen to a pastor. You see, you've got to get in order, people. Now listen to me. If you came here and you have lost family members or your husband's not saved, we ain't putting you out. We're just saying, man, you've got to pray for your house to get in order. I can't look at you and say you're cute and I love you and everything's going to be all right. I've got to tell you, you've got to get it in order. If you're going to be a leader here, you've got to get your family in order. Your kids got to be in order. Sense and, and, and see, look at this. Everybody always thinks it's either perfection or you can't do it. Oh, I'm not perfect, so I can't do it. No, th- th- this is achievable by people, by human beings. He, he's actually believing that there's people in the city that are going to do this. And I see them even here. We can do this. And if you can't right now, you need to ask God for his help. Become poor in your spirit. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work. See, he's going to oversee. He's entrusted with God's work. He must be blameless. Not overbearing, not quick tempered. He can't be doctor angry, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gains, so he can't be a swindler. Now, look, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good. So he must love what's good. He must be self controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And now look what it says right here, verse 9. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Do you see what the pastor's job is? He is to hold to the sound doctrine and to say, come on, brother, this is what it means to serve God. Let's preach. Let's pray. Let's get out and win souls. Let me encourage you. And then someone comes out the wilderness acting all nuts and crazy. I got to refute you, put you back in order. And then I got to encourage this, brother. You see, we encourage one another and we refute the false doctrines. We don't tickle false doctrines. I, I think I need to get a shirt, you know what I'm saying? Like Metro Praise, three and a half years, still checking your religion. You know what I'm saying? We still refute in your heresies. And it, because no one wants to put it in order. They want to hide in churches. People want, pastors want to hide behind their pulpit. You have no idea. Let me just tell you a few more stories. How I've tried to get those, those men out behind their pulpit. I try to get them out their pulpit. I tried to get him out there pulpit. There was this one man I was emailing, and he had all these great websites, and, and we were debating atheists. And I said, brother, can you please help us? He said, sure, I would love to, but I have a $500 minimum to do that. I, I, I emailed him back. I said, uh, uh, listen here, mini T.D. Jakes. I wasn't really asking you to perform for us, to travel for I understand if you were traveling, there's travel expenses. That's all fine. I said, I'm just asking you to get on the phone. We do this by phone. So I actually, you know, was teasing him, so I sent it back. And he's like, well, <clears throat> I can just hear the tone of the voice. If you want anybody of any value on your show, you're going to need to pay them to come. I won't come unless I'm given $500. I then wrote him back. I said, brother, you were going to help me debate, but now you flip sides. I want to debate you. Come on my show with me and another pastor and discuss how pastors can be swindlers wanting money before they preach. Never heard from them again. Never heard from them again. 
You see, what happens is pastors want to hide behind the pulpit. Members want to hide behind the pews. But the Bible says we got to hold to the trustworthy message as it's been taught. Who's teaching you? Glory to God. I'm teaching you now. Who's teaching your neighbors? Teach your neighbors. Who taught me? The man you saw up here. If you follow it back, it goes back to Christ. Now, once again, you ever have any questions what you're being taught? Hey, sit down. The Bible says I'm not to be violent. I'm not going to get mad. Come and talk to us. That woman really had questions. Come sit down. Talk to us. Humble yourself. Come pour in spirit, and we're going to teach you the Bible. We'll show you what you don't agree with it. That's okay. If it's a non-essential, things that don't have to do with heaven and hell, you can go on your way in peace. We'll say, okay, we disagree then. But to try to come and cause a mess, it's all out of order. Do you know that when the New Testament was finished, it didn't look like our Bible right here. It was in various letters, meaning Paul wrote this actually to a guy named Titus. And so he's like holding this letter. That was the Bible, okay? And then the other book, Timothy, is a letter to Timothy. So Paul's, uh, Titus is holding his letter. Timothy's holding his letter. So let's say you only lived in Crete with Titus. You didn't live in Ephesus with, Paul, uh, with uh, Timothy. Let me start over again. I think I confused myself. Let's say you are just in Titus's church and you are living in Crete. You are not with Timothy living in Ephesus. Guess what? You've never read First and Second Timothy. You've never read the other letters. This is what the early church was like for the first hundred years after Jesus left. You only had the letter right in front of you. This, this would be your entire New Testament. That's all you would know. It's just what they taught you. Are you listening? When the disciples of the disciples began to write their letters, they quoted the New Testament over 36,000 times. You can find the entire New Testament only but for 11 verses in what those men wrote down. That would be like Ish right now, writing down word for word what I said, except for 11 words in today's message. Those men would read the passage that they were given, the part of this scripture they had, 400 times and then recite it by memory. The early Christians, if you lived in Crete, you would be able to recite the entire letter of Titus because that was your instruction. Now today we can't even get people to read their Bible and do what it says. We have Pentecostal pimps teaching us to just read some self-help book and we've lost this. The true elder says, here's the message. You've been taught it. Now learn it and teach others. And if you hear something that don't line up with it, refute it. So imagine you're in Crete, and all of a sudden you hear somebody walking around going, man, I can be an elder, but I like to drink. You would just quote it. No, an elder must not be a man given to drunkenness. He must be hospitable. He must have his children in order, and his whole household must have a good reputation. He must be blameless. You're wrong. Paul didn't say that. People would even walk around with letters because it would be easy to forge. Don't think people would change, well, by the way, y'all. There's, you know, scam artists now, scam artists back then. People would come with letters. Oh, Paul said, Paul said this, guys. Paul said that I'm an angel and I'm supposed to pastor you. Seriously, the most silliest things people would say Paul said. And this is what Paul said in the book of Galatians. Oh, I got to. Let's turn there with me. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. Come on, if you like to preach it, can you say, preach it, preach it? Now, I've got to go just a few minutes over because I gave a few minutes to some, some heresy, so I've got to make it up. Is that okay? I've got to take back what we gave to Oprah Winfrey and, and Billy Graham and Joe Osteen. Amen. I'm going to take it back. Somebody say, take it back. Now, just look right here. See, you're getting a lesson in church history. 
So imagine you're in Galatia. You don't got the letter of Ephesus. You don't have Ephesians. You don't have Philippians' letter. You don't have Timothy's letter. You just have Galatians. That's all you got. But guess what? People were lying to the Galatian people saying things that Paul said. They were saying, oh, you got to be circumcised to be saved. you got to do X, Y, and Z to be saved. And look what Paul says. And this applies to everything that we're talking about today. Verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You get it right there? You can't have both at the same time. You've got to desert the real Christ to get to this other gospel. That's why these men are not only not preaching the gospel, they're deserting Christ not saved by the gospel. Amen? You can't preach another gospel and be saved by the right one. That's contradictory. You're one. The Bible says you only serve one master. So he says right here, you have deserted Christ and you took a false gospel. He said, I'm surprised y'all did that. I'm surprised Joel did that. I'm surprised Billy did that. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel. Evidently, there's some people throwing our society, our church, into confusion. Before you came today, you might have been confused. Look what Paul said. It's not my words. He said, but if even we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that's preached to you, let him be eternally condemned. Oh, my Lord. You see, he knew how to preach. Come on, somebody say, preach it, Paul. You see, Paul knew how to preach. Paul said, look, if they turn to another gospel, let them know that they are eternally condemned. Oh, glory to God. I need you, Jesus. I'm coming poor in my spirit. It's, now, look, he got to repeat himself. Now, you know if your mother repeated something to you, she meant it. You know if your boss repeats something, you mean, he means it. And you know if you got to repeat something, you mean it. Look what he said again. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you have accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Do you know that the Roman Empire did not have a problem with people believing in Jesus? The problem that the Roman Empire had was them saying Jesus was the only way and every other way was a false way. That's why they got thrown in the lines then set on fire. Are you listening to me? The Buddhists right now don't mind if you believe in Jesus and China. They have Chinese state churches Christians can go to. But if you say Christ Jesus is the only way in communism, the Fuhrer and all dictators must bow to Jesus, then they got a problem with you. And you see, the real gospel may cost you your life, but I'd rather give my life for the real gospel and spend eternity in heaven than take it for another gospel and be eternally condemned. Which one you want, amen? And then I'm going to tell you something. It's tight, but it's right. You can get mad and offended and say, oh, me and oh, my, but I'm just going to say amen. Amen? It's not hard. I'm not sitting here. You know, we all have differences. Don't get me wrong. You know, I have a different way of having my family. You may have a different way of raising your family. We're not talking about non-essentials. We're not talking about Joe Osteen came up here and said, well, you know what? I, I believe we ought to take communion every week. And I'm saying, no, we only, only got to take it once a month. No, we're not fighting over petty things. We're not just disagreeing over petty things. You know, the, the, the family that had to go. It, it wasn't just something petty like, oh, you know, oops, I slipped up. I shouldn't have said that. Forgive me. No, no, no. You see, 
when, when the devil gets involved, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And what he wants to mess with is the very foundation of what a thing is built on. When the devil wants to mess with the church, he wants to mess with the very centrality, the, the centrality of Christ Jesus himself. He wants you to take off your attention off Christ and put him along the side of everybody else. When he messes with the family, he wants to take the father out of order, then the mother, then the kids. Are you listening? You see, you see the devil's a smart serpent. He's a conniving, cunning serpent. But he's under our feet in Jesus' name. Amen? Praise God. Now, that was the introduction to the message. So, are we ready for the message, poor in spirit? Because that's not what we're going to be. Amen? This is what we're going to be right here. Oh, did I have another scripture? Which one did I put up there? Oh, I got the rest of Titus. Let me just read this real quick. For there are rebellious people. You know why he got to put stuff in order? You know why, he's got, why he, the pastor's got to refute it? Because there are rebellious people, mere talkers, deceivers, especially of those of the circumcision group. See, that's like religious people. They must be silenced because they're ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not teach. And for that sake of dishonest gain. Why are they teaching what they're teaching? Because they get money out of it. Why do people want to live the way they want to live? Because they get to be selfish and self-centered. That's one of the reasons right there. i got to skip ahead. But we got to be poor in spirit. Somebody say, be poor in spirit. Here it is very simply. It means to come to God saying, Lord, I'm going to be happy in trusting you with everything. I'm going to come to this word right here, and I'm going to make this a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Look at all these scriptures i got right here. You can just look up here in closing. 2 Corinthians 7.10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. The Bible says it's good to come before God weeping over your sin and repentance. Forget what Joel Osteen taught you. Forget what Oprah taught you. God says it's good to be poor in spirit. Here's some ways to be poor in spirit. Have godly sorrow. When you sin and break God's heart, don't say it's okay. Don't say there's a million ways to heaven. I'm just going my way. No, say, Lord, forgive me. It's okay to repent. Matter of fact, it's a good thing. It brings you eternal life. You want to have a poor spirit? Be quick to repent of your sins. Another thing is have a broken and contrite heart. Bible says, Psalms 51:17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. We're not talking about having low self-esteem, oh, I'm nothing. No, all of these things, you watch. When we come to Christ, we are poor in our spirit. But after we come to him, we ain't poor no more. Amen? You see, because God makes us rich. God satisfies our needs. And there is a lot of then what Joe Osteen talks about that is true about God's prosperity and blessing. But it doesn't come from self-image. It doesn't come from selfish living. It comes through Christ-centered living. It comes through a God-conscious living. Amen. See, we have to come broken. Excuse me, the Muslim must come broken before God. He cannot say, well, my way is just another way. You know, the homosexual just can't say, my way is another way. We must come broken. And look at Isaiah 66, verse 2. It says, they must tremble at his word. It says, for all those things hath my hand made, and all those things have been, says the Lord. But to this man will I look. Who does God look to? Even to him that is a poor and of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. They tremble at God's word. These elders right here, Ricky and Ish, were in the meeting last Saturday with the family, and there was no trembling at the word of God. 
They could say whatever they wanted. Oh, pastor, whatever you say, whatever. Ah. Don't have to tremble. These, these pastors stand in front of 100 million viewers on Larry King Live, and there's no fear in them. There's no fear of what becomes of them. Billy Graham, after giving his whole life to the Word of God, sits up here and tells that they don't tremble at his word. You want to be poor in your spirit? Here's what we need to do. Have a godly sorrow and repentance of sin at all times. I'll start with myself. I will be a person of sorrow towards the things that break God's heart. Never making an excuse for my sin. Always saying, God, change me. Have mercy. And thank you for the blood that washes me. And number two, come to God with a broken and contrite heart. Preach what he tells you to preach. Marry who he tells you to marry. Raise your kids the way he tells you to raise them. If you have an addiction in your life, say, God, I don't want this addiction. Break it. Take it out of my life. And then lastly, tremble at his word. Don't take this word as just another man's opinion. If you don't trust me as a pastor, go to another church that preaches it and get yourself in a place where the word trembles you to your soul and it makes you feel uncomfortable at times because you know that it's the instruction of a holy God. They're not suggestions. They're commands. And tremble at God's word. Would you stand with me today? Oh, glory to God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Uh, just Rachel, would you come, please? Praise the Lord. Thank you for staying a little bit after. Oh, glory to God. Here's the good part. Now, here's, here's where you and I are glad we came to church. See, see, all my job is as a pastor, this is all I'm supposed to do, is just show you the way to God and be on that path myself. That's it. As a pastor, I'm not, I'm not required to never not make a mistake or any of that. But you see, a blameless person is not someone who doesn't make mistakes. A blameless person is someone who makes mistakes and makes them right because they're still blameless. It's like, oh, yeah, he, he made that mistake. Yeah, Ish, Ish and Ricky could say, oh, yeah, Joe's made some mistakes, but he's come to us. He's repented. He's gone to the right people. It's, it's, he's blameless. There's nothing you can put on him. It's the same thing with them. Yeah, Ricky's made mistakes. He's made mistakes. You know, uh, Adolfo's made mistakes. Evangelist has made mistakes, but you can't put them on them. They, they, they've already made them right. Now, what you and I have to do walking home and going to our wonderful families this week and, you know, this, this weekend and holiday season, and I know, you know, many of you as you sit at your job, you know, as Charles is fixing on cars, he may not be thinking of the revolution in the American church, you know. He may not be at that moment thinking about, you know, Joe Osteen and how he's, you know, a heretic. But this is what I want Joe, this is what I want Charles, this is what I want you to think about. But Revelations teaches us how to tremble at his word, how to have godly sorrow, how to be broken. Here it is. Jesus talking to his church. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. This is, by the way, what pe most people believe is the end times church, the time of our, our generation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. So I wish you were one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You see, Oprah Winfrey ain't the worst of the worst, is she? But she's really not doing what she's supposed to either. You know, Joe Osteen, he's not as bad as others, right? I mean, he's not a Hitler. He's a pretty nice guy. The woman even got on the phone. Thanks for your encouraging message, you know. But he's not on fire. See, the Bible says you're right in the middle. Remember when he was him hawing with Larry King? Yeah, I agree with what the caller said. 
And then Larry King says, oh, so the Jew does go to hell. Well, no, I don't agree with that either. And then he's Larry King. Well, then you believe your way is the right. Remember, he just wanted to walk right between, right between. It's nice and lukewarm. Right there. The Bible says you're going to get spit out of his mouth. You ever, coffee drinkers ever think that cup of coffee was hot, but you forgot you, you had left it there, you grabbed the wrong cup, you drink that lukewarm coffee, you spit it out. If it was cold, it would be good. If it was hot, it would be good. Now keep going. What does this church say? This is a church, by the way. Jesus talking to them. What do they say? You say, I'm rich. I have acquired wealth and don't need a thing. Isn't that what they talk about? We're rich and millionaires. We don't need a thing. We, we all blessed here. But look what he says. But you don't realize. This is Jesus talking. This is not somebody angry. It's not the devil. But Jesus says, but you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, that's the bad part. That that's how we all are. So you know what Jesus was teaching us in Matthew? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus is actually saying, when you recognize that's who you are, that's a good thing. Not that then you walk around with your head, oh, I'm wretched, miserable, blind, and poor. No, so that then you can receive the kingdom. Then you receive the riches of God. Let's finish. It says right here, but you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold. You see, there's the gold. But who's got it, y'all? Jesus. He says, I count you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. You ever felt ashamed of your sin? Salve to put on your eyes so you can see. He says, those who I love, I rebuke and I discipline. You see, God loves Metro Praise. God loves us. He's here to teach us. He loves Joseph. He is disciplining us. He wants us to get it right. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and he with me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. God, I pray that each one of us become poor in our spirit. And I pray, God, that you clothe us in white and you give us your true riches. Give us the kingdom of heaven. If you came here today, we're going to open up these altars. And you just want to ask God for Him to fill you up. You want to humble yourself. We're going to open up these altars right now. Just come. Find a place to pray in the remaining minutes of our service. And let's just begin to weep before God if you've sinned. If you just want more of God and you're hungry for Him, go and put up Rachel. And I want to just begin to start singing from her heart. Come on, let's just begin to say, God, we want more of you. Jesus, we came here today because we want you. Jesus, we repent, Lord. Come on, if you can't even think of sins of yourself anymore, think of our nation's sin. And just begin to repent. Come on, we empty ourselves before God. He will make us rich. He will bless us. But He wants to change us.
Hallelujah, Lord, change us. Clothe us in that white, oh God. You said you love the broken and contrite heart. We're broken before you today. Come on, come on, talk to the Lord. No one can make you want God today, and he won't force himself on you. Hallelujah. God, we're not angry with Joe Osteen. Oh, God, we ask you to have mercy on him. We ask you to have mercy on Billy Graham, Oprah Winfrey. Oh, God, make this nation humble again. Humble us, Jesus. Jesus. God, I pray that members of this church would repent of their sins. Not just because God a preacher told them, but because God, they know that it's wrong. They want to make it right. I pray that we'll preach your word with boldness, not afraid to tell the truth. Because we know what the truth is. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We're not ashamed of the gospel. Jesus. God, establish Metro praise upon elders, upon leaders. Establish it in our homes with our families. Set the church in order. Set our families in order. Set our lives in order. Jesus. Nancy, come on up here and just pray for a few moments. We're not in a hurry today, but if you got to go, you can go. But those of you that need to stay, let's pray till we dismiss today. Let's let the Lord move because we know He's got to do some house cleaning tonight. He's got to make it ready for His coming. you, God, and we say, Lord, forgive us. Let the refining start in our heart. Purify us like you would purify gold and let all the impurities rise up in us. Oh, God, forgive your church. Forgive us for our backsliddenness. Forgive us, oh, God, for our unforgiveness and bitterness that we hold inside. Forgive us, Lord, for not shining the light like we're supposed to. Forgive us for laziness and apathy and pride and selfishness, Lord. We stand in the gap for the sins of the church and we say, Lord, let it start in Metro praise. Let your fire refine our hearts here because we want revival to come into our hearts. We want revival to come to our streets and our schools. Oh, Lord, you said, if we come before you, if my people would humble themselves, and repent and turn from their wicked ways that you would hear from heaven and forgive our sins and heal our land. Oh God, we need you to heal America again. We need you to heal our schools from the violence, to heal our land from the abortions, oh God, to heal our governments from the corruption, to heal the church, oh God, from its backslidden states. Let your church arise, oh God, and we will take a stand. We thank you, O oh God, that you are a God of that you can that you are a consuming fire. Consume us. Consume everything that isn't of you. Let the fire of God be inside of us. Let the fire of God consume every attitude, every thought, every impurity, every selfish act. Consume us with your fire, O oh God. And then clothe us with your righteousness. So that we can be made white as snow. We come to you, Jesus, because you are holy. And we put on your righteousness, your holiness, your purity. And we thank you for making us white as snow. I pray, Lord God, that we will let our light shine before men. 
because you said a city on a hill cannot be hidden. So we as Metro Praise, we as believers, as disciples, we will go into the world and shine our light and we won't be ashamed and we won't preach a compromising message to our friends and to our co-workers, but we will shine our light before men in Jesus' name. You say, Lord God, that you will come back for a bride that has made herself ready. We make ourselves ready before you. We make ourselves ready through fasting and prayer and reading our word and being a witness. Oh God, we're making ourselves ready because you're coming back for a spotless and clean bride. And we want to be ready, oh God. So cleanse us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you, thank you. I really just want to reiterate that when we come poor, we do not leave poor. But the whole point is that we're dependent upon Christ. No other way. And we're doing it Christ's way. Let me leave you with this example in closing. Thank you for your patience. Imagine if me and Bill Gates became friends. Bill Gates and I. And Bill Gates says, okay, here's the deal, Joe. You just respect me. When I talk, don't interrupt me. And just be quiet when I'm around other people. And when I ask you to speak, you speak. And here's the deal. Anything you want, anytime I buy. That would be a pretty good deal, right? Amen? I got you all quiet right now. I said that would be a pretty good deal. Amen? So all I got to do is just be quiet. Don't talk till he says, say, go ahead and talk. I'll be like, I won't say a word. Then I'll be like, I want that building right there for a humongous church, put a youth center and all that stuff in their food kitchen. All right? You got it. Now watch. I have become rich but not in my own self, but in that relationship. So I am only rich in my relationship to Bill Gates. You already know where I'm going with that, don't you? You see, we are rich in our relationship to Christ. In that relationship to Christ, it's not mean like the Bill Gates don't speak to you at your toe, but it's based upon the following of the Lord's commands and our obedience. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Now we're saved by the grace of the Lord, but in that grace, we are here to do good works. Are you following me? So in the relationship with Christ, we're rich. We can pray to the Father in Jesus' name and prayers get answered things that money could never buy. Bam! Jesus can do it. Set me free from drugs. Healed broken hearts. Bringing people, all of us, to heaven. But watch. The moment me and Bill Gates would get in a fight, he says, go on now, boy. (laughs) He gets a little southern, too. And now I'm by myself. Am I rich anymore? Don't have anything anymore, do I? And see, that's the problem. See, Joe Osteen is not telling us. Billy Graham wasn't telling us. Oprah Winfrey's not telling us the truth. You see, yes, we are rich in Christ. We are blessed. God does want you to have a, a, an abundant life. But it's in your relationship to Him. And that relationship has some guidelines. And if you step out that relationship, it's over. And for all the people in this world, that don't have that relationship. They're missing Jesus. 
They're, they can read a book and improve their life skills and make more friends and influence people and be a people person. But they, they're missing the riches of Christ. They're, ri- they're, mich- they're, they're missing the true riches of God's gold and white clothes and the beauty of seeing things as they are. So our self-image is I am poor but rich in Christ. I am weak, like Paul said, but He is strong in me. I am less and can't do anything, but He is greater in me than he that's in the world. I came cursed and messed up, but He's blessed and blessed me. I came last, but He said I could be first. I came behind, but He said I would be the head. Are you listening? Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. See, that's the gospel. Woo! That's good news. That's the good news. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, I came bound up, but in Him now I'm free. Amen. You came broken hearted, but now your heart is healed. You came with a messed up family, but now He's bringing it together. Woo! Jesus. In that relationship. And I just don't want... We're not just here to seek His hand. Seek His face. Just fall in love with Jesus today, y'all. You'll have a great life. You may not have that car that you want, but you're going to be blessed anyway. You know what? You may go through struggles and hardships, but you'll have all that you need. People may leave you. Life and death may come. People may leave you through death and passing away. But God's still with you. Enjoy the richness of Christ. Amen. Would you hold somebody's hand? And let's just pray for everybody in the house now. Pray for your neighbor to the left and to the right. Ricky, would you come up here, one of our elders? Amen. And just bless the people of God. Lord, we give you glory, Lord Father God. And we come to you poor. We come to you with a broken spirit, Lord. We come to you weak and even foolish, Lord. We come to you in need, Lord Father God. And we thank you, Lord, that when we come to you, Lord Father God, we're rich, we're wise, Lord Father God. We're put together, full and complete, not lacking anything, Lord, because you fill every need. You fulfill us, Lord Father, to the utmost, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that we could come to you, Lord Father God, and find satisfaction, Lord, that we will be satisfied in you, Lord Father God. Lord, we thank you for today's message, Lord Father God. Help us. Lord, let it encourage us, Lord Father God. Let us fear at your word, Lord Father God. Lord, we tremble, Lord Father God. Because your word is true, Lord Father God. It does not compromise, Lord. So Jesus, Lord Father God, that we will be obedient to your word. That we will live it, Lord Father. We will follow it. That it will not depart from our lips or, or our mouth. Lord, that we will meditate on it day and night, Lord. Because then you said, then we will be prosperous and successful, Lord. Lord, bless each and every one of us, Lord. Bring us safely back home. Give us traveling mercies, Lord. Bless us throughout the week. Protect us, Lord Father God. Use us, Lord, to preach your gospel, Lord. Use us, Lord Jesus. We are your servants, Lord. We come to you humbly, Lord Father God. Use us, Lord Father, to bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, we love you. We give you all the glory.